a day. Uh, buenas. Dispensado, for those of you that started watching the initial screen, stream, we had uh, um, I believe there was a snake on the power cable uh, that interrupted the Wi-Fi flow and sort of uh, we have to go and find the instructions to restart the router on the back of the Declaration of Independence. And so um, we're starting again, Fanatsu Part 2. I am your host again. I'm your host again. Uh, Michael Lujan Bavakwa, and um, I wanted to once again thank everyone who makes Fanatsu possible. Fanatsu is the official podcast for Independent Guahan. Independent Guahan's mission in the community, we have week, we have regular monthly activities, events, we have general assemblies, we have coffee shop conversations, we have podcasts, we have concerts, we have all sorts of stuff, but follow us on social media. You can email us at independentguahan at gmail. Our role is to elevate the elevate the knowledge and the engagement of the of Guam on decolonization in general to educate and elevate, but also independence as a particular status option in, um, and so as well. And so that is our goal. Fanatsu is made possible by people who like it, people who subscribe it, um, people who share it, get the word out there. But most of all. It is made possible by our patrons. If you're not familiar with Patreon, um, Patreon is is a, a website where you can sign up, and for your particular creators that you like, that you enjoy their content, and you want to show some guenaiza, malagua, sumapotia, jusia, you can sign up to donate to them every month. And so, a lot of the stuff that's going on right here, right now has to do with, um, is made possible for, by uh, Patreon. So these two mics, for example, Patri uh, paid for by Patreon. Uh, Siguenzama, our producer over there, he has a fancy looking Rogue One caster. It's okay, it's called a Rode caster, but I'm gonna call it a Rogue One caster until until I'm in the ground. And so, um, but it's, it's so cool. It's got those little pads where you can like program different sounds. Okay, Siguenzama, na inzo uno, give me one. You should have said, oh, I don't know what he put. I don't have headphones on. So I have no idea what he just played. Hopefully it was fun or interesting. Was it somebody saying Kozamu led? No, it wasn't somebody saying Kozamu led? No? Okay. But we need, to, we need to get something like that. Somebody saying Kozamu led. But all of this is made possible because of generous mangeftauna class and tautau, people out there who sign up for Patreon for $1 to $15 a month. And always remember that if you sign up as a patron, especially if you're a Hugwa tier member or a Tulu tier member, you get special bonus features, bonus exclusive content. So after every live stream that we have on Friday at 1 p.m., we record other special content which only those who subscribe as patrons can get. So if you want, for example, to download and be able to listen to the Secret Guam podcast or the Radical History podcast, we record those right after this, but only those who sign up as Hugwa members and pledge $10 a month at least uh, to, to support Fanatsu, only they get to, to listen in. And so last week, uh, Last week, Siguenzama no, when there was the, it was, I think it was probably Siguenzama's favorite uh, story of Guam history I ever shared. It was about a guy named uh, Pido, who during World War II, him and his cousins got, got cousin got into some crazy adventures, um, even killing a couple of Japanese soldiers. Um, but a, a whole bunch of crazy things happened. And so on the Secret Guam History podcast, I shared a Pito story. And if you would like to know about the kind of trouble that Pito got into with the Japanese during the war, uh, sign up as a patron and, and you can learn more. Okay, so um, I wanted to invite, uh, I wanted to sort of uh, introduce now our special guest today. And so uh, we have with us today on Fanatsu, Mr. Armin Sablon. And so um, I ran into him, uh, ran into him in ga at GameStop the other day, and um, 
Uh, he was gracious enough to agree to come on uh, the show and talk about uh, his experiences. But to kind of, before we get started with this though, I wanted to kind of lay the scene for why I felt it was important to invite you on. A couple weeks ago, um, myself and a number of others um, had a meeting with uh, Magahaga Lulian Guerrero, uh, where we were expressing ourselves that many people said they don't feel like the military buildup to Guam is going to be a boost to the economy, it's, or they feel like it's not going to be good for the island. People expressed that cultural resources are being destroyed. People said it's bad for the environment. People throughout all of these things at Lulian Guerrero, kind of encouraging her to ask for a pause or to basically kind of speak out against the buildup. And Lou, in some ways, was initially supportive in her remarks and her response, um, saying that we need to change our political status so we can actually have some power in a situation like this. But then she, she definitely, um, the crowd there was definitely not on her side when then she went on to say that we needed the military buildup because of the threats from China and North Korea. And so she was arguing and she said that the Admiral and others, they brief her, they talk to her about um, the threats that are out there around us and they mention China and North Korea and we need the military here, we need the Marines, we need that firing range um, to keep us safe from China and North Korea. Now, what I, what Armin here, um, is somebody who he has lived in China uh, for several years now, and so I thought it, I thought it important that we we talk about, we talk about it that Armin share his experiences living in China, and then um, and then we because one of the things that I want us to think about in this conversation today is that we really need to think for ourselves. Yes, we do. We really need to think for ourselves. And so for those of you out there who have sort of spent much of your life hearing in the media or hearing in your family that, that this country is our enemy, these are our enemies, and so on, we really need to think for ourselves. We really need to be able to see the world, the ocean, the continents, the countries around us with clearer eyes. And so, thank you for having me. And so... Um, so tell us a little bit more about yourself. So what brought you to sort of uh, end up teaching in China? Okay, I ended up in China, being an English teacher in China because uh, for most of my life, I can't really say I've been able to find my niche in life. I really thought that like most of the males of this island, that my destiny or my path in life would be the military because growing up here in Guam, I came from a retired Navy father uh, and my mother and I would always go to the bases for shopping, the commissary, the exchange. And back then when I was a child, uh, being able to shop at the commissary and exchange was a big advantage because the prices were lower. Uh, just for that simple reason. And that's one of the main reasons why so many island people of Guam uh, wanted to go into the military uh, so that they can shop at uh, the commissary and the exchange for all these Guam fiestas and christenings and weddings and festivities that this island has too much of, you know? And so, uh, anyway... Mine is a pretty funny story because I'm not a one branch, but two branch serviceman. I first went into the Navy after I graduated Father Duenas High School in 88, served until 92, took part in Desert Shield, Desert Storm on board USS Saratoga. And then after I finished my, my tour of duty, my enlistment, I came back to Ireland and uh, wanted to use my GI Bill to start co to get a college degree. And things didn't really work out too well for me on island for the next 10 years. From 92 until uh, 2002, I had this mis un misconception or this, this you know, uh, foolish belief that just being a veteran will automatically guarantee me uh, a federal job uh, and be and like the postal service or work on the base. I did get to work on the base, but it was just for the Navy exchange. And that's one of the things that people need to understand when they say, 
buildup, military buildup will bring more jobs. Yeah, it will, but it's not going to be jobs that will give you the good life. Uh, for the most, for most of the time I worked for the Navy Exchange, I was just making from when I started at five dollars an hour, which was minimum at the time. After five years, I got out at only a little over six dollars an hour, and uh, five years only a little over a dollar growth. You know, that's shows how that shows how not really good life you will have by working for the military base unless you go federal and then so i transferred to uh, being a security guard over here for university of guam from 97 all the way up until 2002 some people may remember me from that time during when i was working here and uh, that whole time i was under government gov guam pay but it was not a permanent position it was only a contract year by year basis. And so the whole five years of that, I was only getting $7 and one cent an hour. And so because life was going nowhere after 10 years on island, I made the drastic decision to go back in service, but as a Marine the second time around. And uh, so I went through MCRD San Diego in 2002 and then got my duty station over in Camp Lejeune of North Carolina. I always seem to end up, the military always seems to end up putting me on the East Coast of the United States. And see, my questions the whole time, one of the reasons why I'm so disgruntled is because how do all these people that get Guam or Asia as a station get it? Because I put those places down on my request duty station dream uh, sheet. I want to get stationed in Guam so I could be close to family. Next would be Philippines, Hawaii, Japan, uh, and at farthest maybe California. But I always seem to always end up getting stationed in East Coast United States. During the Navy years, it was uh, Mayport, Jacksonville, Florida, and then during the Marine Corps years was Camp Lejeune, North Carolina. <laughs> Talk about uh, land of. Uh, catfishing and uh, out in the swamp middle of nowhere, you know? And so I always end up having to spend an arm and a leg to come all the way here to Guam just so that I could see my mother for Christmas. So that's, oh. And then the reason why I didn't do a full 20 like so, so many people do is because when Gulf, when this new Gulf, after 9-11, uh, U.S. has been nonstop deploying, deploying, deploying to the Middle East, Afghanistan, Iraq, and all that. So when I did my tour in Iraq, boiling out there in the 120 uh, degree, 130 degree heat, I really thought to myself, what am I doing out here? Why am I supporting something that, uh, you know, is hurting a people that never did nothing to me personally, you know? And so that's one of the reasons why I got out. And I wasn't alone in this. I wasn't alone in this. The Marine Corps has a 80% uh, dropout rate of first-year first enlistees, you know. Uh, so many people decide that this is not for me. And so uh, there was a whole bunch of us getting out because we didn't want to be part of no war that we didn't feel was justified, you know. And so uh, the military... The Department of Defense noticed this, so they were offering stay-in bonus money for anyone and everyone. Didn't matter what your job, didn't matter what your rank. If you re-enlisted and stayed in, you would get 10000 And most of us just laughed at that. We were like, nowhere near enough. <laughs> you can keep it, you know? And so I got out. So, however, after getting out the second time around, I didn't come back to Ireland. I stayed in the mainland USA. Uh... I ended up uh, going to ITT Tech in San Diego, California, because that was one of my dreams back when I was young to go to, because uh, those commercials were really convincing. My goodness, I remember those commercials. Remember that? I totally remember those. Yes. That's my little brother. He's, uh, was that I'm still in college with a few more years to go. And uh, he's went to ITT Tech and is already working a good career. While I'm studying the past, he's working on the future. Remember that? The very first one. And so I thought that was what I wanted to be. But guess what? Many, if any of you were following the news, ITT Tech turned into a scam school. So if you have an ITT Tech degree, nobody will want you. 
it's not worth the paper it's printed on. And so that's why I ended up getting put in debt because of the, the loans that the school took out for me to go attend their school and that I'm still paying for it to this day. And so then... Since that didn't work out, I ended up becoming part of the Electrical Workers Union of San Diego called IBEW 569. There's an IBEW here on Guam from what I saw, uh, but I was at the San Diego branch, which is number 569, as an apprentice, electrical apprentice for low voltage, installing sound systems, installing camera systems, installing computer systems for schools and buildings and things like that, phone systems. But... That job was still not what I thought it was going to be because I thought I was going to be, uh, what I really wanted in life was a job that would, my tools of the trade would be the keyboard and the mouse and I would be working in uh, for something like Microsoft or uh, or Apple, you know. But even though it's electrical working, installing uh, video and sound systems, it was labor. <laughs> and by then I was not young anymore. I was in my 40s. And so as I was lugging 100 pound rolls of uh, cable up five stories of steps, uh, at the end of every day, being covered from head to toe in dust and dirt and sweat, all crusty, uh, my back and my uh, knees were slowly dying, you know, I could, so I also decided, okay, I don't think I can do this. And uh, one of my dreams for most of my life, especially when I was in the military, was to get stationed in Asia, to see Asia, Japan, China, Korea, you know how it is, growing up with Bruce Lee movies, growing up with Japanese anime, growing up eating ramen, Simon, growing up eating at these all these Japanese, Chinese, Korean restaurants out here on the island. So I wanted to be in uh, Asia. Then finally, uh, a couple of people back at San Diego, I forgot who, probably restaurant workers, kept on urging me, dude, teach English, teach English, become an English teacher. There's so many jobs out there that, uh, that need, that there's so many schools and jobs out there that need English teachers, so many of the Asian countries are making the push to learn English to become part of the international community, especially China. So I did my research, teach English in uh, here in, chi in China, teach English in Japan, teach English in Korea, teach English in Asia. And from what I learned, it's not, it wasn't a short process. It took me a, two full year, a full two years before I finally got hired by somebody. But uh, you need to get... Uh, something called, uh, you need certification. There are, there are different types. I got the TESL, Teach English as a Second Language certification. There's also the Teach English as a Foreign Language certification. And there are many others, there are several others. Uh, naturally, if you have a four-year college degree, most of the jobs over there, by their laws, they require you to have a four-year bachelor degree or higher depends on what position you're going for if you're going to teach at university definitely uh they want you to have higher level uh certification like masters or even phds and you definitely will get the higher pay with those jobs but my situation was actually kind of uh uh interesting because i when I finally got my certification and started applying for jobs out there, the only place that would uh, answer me is China because uh, their demand is so high that even though I never completed my four-year bachelor degree, they still would take me. I thought at first I wanted to teach in uh, elementary school, to kindergarten to elementary school level, but uh, the first position for that uh, ended up rejecting me because uh, of the way I look. According to uh, my my uh, discussions with people out there and uh, my research, in order for most positions for little children, preschoolers, kindergarten, elementary schoolers, the number one candidate they want is white, young, and female. And so those are the main ones that they want. And because I am what I am, uh, they didn't think I was a worthy candidate. But finally, an uh, organization called uh, China Immersion 
contacted me. I went through my video Skype interview with them. And then uh, I got accepted. So finally, yes, I'm going to China. I was living in San Diego at the time. I was a San Diego resident. I had to pawn 90% of my life possessions in order to lighten my load uh, to make sure that I only had maybe, uh, you know, uh, two uh, foot lockers worth of uh, items to bring with me. And that's all that I had in my life. And so I finally ended up going over there. And would you believe it? They ended up making me teach at university level. <laughs> and so, uh, and so when I was, when I found that out and I was already put in the university dorm where I was housed at, uh, you could say that I was having a bit of a meltdown because I was like, uh, am I qualified for this? I don't think, because we have the impression that the Chinese are all geniuses, right? We all have this impression that the Chinese are all, uh, what's that, uh, you know, they've been programmed, they're programmed robots that have been studying all their lives. Yes, they, their society does push them to study most of their lives, but guess what? So many of their levels of English is so bad that I have to ask some of my students, like, what are you doing in college? You know, what are you doing in the university? You can't even understand me. You're, you're asking your friend, what, am, what is he saying, you know, in, in Chinese? And so I'm like, okay, this is going to be uh, uh, not as challenging as I thought. No, that's so, that's so true. I mean, I, I taught one summer at a university in, uh, in, in Japan, Kobe University, and I had similar impressions like that all Japanese students are like, because on Guam, we always talk about how, how much we suck like how bad we are at everything, how behind we are at everything. And so I had assumptions that, oh, because I'm thinking, oh, my students on Guam sometimes don't do the readings. They don't really do their work. And then I'm like, oh, it'll be nice to go to Japan and the students will do the readings and do the work. Oh, they, they didn't necessarily do the readings or do the work either. And I'm, and I'm wondering, I think, uh, and I'm wondering what place on earth has students where they read every word that they're assigned. What place in the world? And so I think sometimes we think too harsh, harshly of ourselves, like that we don't measure up to everyone else in the world, but everyone else has the same problems that we do. And so, yeah, so I, I appreciate that because, yeah, I was surprised when my, my students, you know, I had my Japanese students who look very studious and you think they're, they're that stereotype of like, a, they, they look like such a smart Asian student. Yeah, they wouldn't do the readings. Or they would kind of, uh, it's so funny because on Guam, we hate it when students ask, you know, is this on the test? Do I have to read this? I think students everywhere ask that. No, <laughs> not in China. Oh, no. In I China, students do not ask questions. Every time I ask them, do you understand? Do you, or, or part of the class, whenever I give my lessons, I would be like, uh, okay, I would ask the question. So, uh, opinions, anybody, nothing, crickets. Nobody wants to talk. Everybody, the Chinese are just too shy, you know? And so, uh, sometimes I, uh, uh, I'm like, what do I have to do to get these people to talk? And uh, let's see. Of course, when it comes to English, you know, English is not something that uh, uh, evolves uh, uh, constantly like science or, you know. But uh, sometimes I try to make the class fun by playing an English game, you know, guess the word that I write on the board, things like that. You could look up any kind of English games English game lessons on the internet. You'll find so many. Mm. That's where I would get my ideas from the internet. But a lot of times, a lot of times, uh, oh, going back to what you said, uh, not being, again, uh, being not, not asking questions and not only not asking questions, they're not even there. Their mind is not there in the class. Mm. I'm surprised that China, Asian students, have their punks, you know? They actually have their delinquents. I mean, compared to the US though, of course, their punk delinquents don't go shooting their teachers or beating their teachers like they do in the US. Uh, there's no such thing as a school shooting in China, at least not yet, <laughs> but uh, I better not jinx myself. But anyway, uh, still, 
still, there are so many students that uh, think that university life, university class is just a joke. Or uh, see, Chinese students have this level of support from their parents that is on a level that I've never seen here or not even in the U.S. Their parents are so supportive that to the point where even if their child is completely delinquent or worthless or, uh, you know, uh, naughty, they are not going to... I don't think Chinese students get punished. I don't think they get beaten. I don't think they get scolded because uh, there were times when I... I felt like, uh, okay, uh, I need to fail this one. This one really is uh, not worth even the, you know, I really, I wish I could even talk to his parents, let his parents know how they're wasting their money on their child. But the Chinese schools don't like to, don't want to fail their students. They, they, it's that socialism, I guess, mentality where everyone must have a degree. And so they're doing everything they can to make even the worthless ones get their degree, so long as they pay, so long as they show up for classes, because attendance is actually a percentage of the grade over there in China. Not like here in the US or in the West where you could just show up on the first day, show up on the final, or show up on the midterm, show up on the final, but miss every other day and still pass. No, they are required to show up every day. If they miss one third of the semester, then yes, guaranteed uh, by school policy, they will be failed. But when it comes to bad behavior, poor grades, uh, even the, those students that I that I had to give them a zero because they uh, they don't do the work, don't participate, don't do anything, uh, the school would make me give them a retake on the following semester. Or not even that. I would see a student from the last semester and I would be like, what are you doing here? You didn't even show up on the final, so that means you fail. But yet here you are in level two. You, you didn't even pass level one. What are you doing here in level two? And so that is the difference. Mm. That are some, some of the differences. Now, so um, what now... Growing up in Guam and then being in the military, sort of being exposed to American media and sort of uh, representations of China and so on. So what was it like when you first went to China and you started this job? What were your feelings, especially after, you know, what we usually hear about China? Okay. Naturally, because of the way the U.S. media always depicts China, uh, that it's like a police state or a... Uh, how can I put it, uh, dictatorship or something that, uh, you know, oh, your organs are going to, your organs are going to get harvested. You're going to be put into a prison camp and you, you know, uh, naturally when I first went over there, I was nervous as I was very nervous. Mm. I was expecting maybe a people's, a PLA soldier in every street corner armed with a machine gun with their eyes glued on me, waiting for me to mess up so that I would get uh, hauled off to a prison camp. Nope, nothing like that at all. Everything, uh, don't believe everything, as you said. Whatever you hear or see in the movies, especially what you see in these Hollywood movies, Hollywood movies really love to demonize the Asian man, the the Chinese uh, and stuff like that, always making them the bad guy. I experienced it's completely wrong. It's completely false. When I went over there, my life over there, I feel more at peace and more in harmony and less stress in life than even when I was in the USA. In the USA, because of the economy, there's always talk about or threats about, uh, you know, there's, we're, going, we're downsizing, or we're going to have cutoffs, we're going to have reductions in pays, this and, you know, uh, there's always uh, stress like, am I going to have a job tomorrow? And what, will I be able to pay my bills? But it, I don't have such stress over there, over there. So that's a, in independent Guahan, one of the things that we really like to do is just look at other countries and the way that they do things to think about how Guam could do things differently. And so... Um, it's funny because um, what you're describing there about how to, the anxiety of, you know, the anxiety of not, not knowing if you have health insurance or if your health insurance is going to cover everything, anxiety about work, if you're going to have a job, if the economy dips, are you going to lose your job? Those, those are things that come with certain systems, right? Certain economic systems, certain healthcare systems. But 
we we in independent Guan we like to think what is something that would align with the the culture of the Chamorro people and the cultures of the other people that live here about the way that they would want to have an economy or have health care or the way that they would want to take care of people right and so when we think about it that way then we look at sort of you have the you have one model in China, you have one model in the United States, you have models in Europe and so on. And so being in China and sort of experiencing their system and the way that they live, what do you think might work from sort of the Chinese, the Chinese way uh, in terms of that Guam could do something similar? As far as the medical system, you're saying? No, or anything, the economic system, the, the social, I mean, you, you had talked about socialism, but anything. Okay. Uh, we are always being told that uh, socialism is bad and socialism does not work. Well, if it does not work, then China wouldn't be the economic power that it is now. And if uh, capitalism and democracy is so good, is so perfect, then the U.S. wouldn't be as struggling as it is now or U.S. citizens. And it's been shared or spoken so much time on the Internet. These are not even my words. I'm just repeating what I see on the Internet that... Uh, the U.S. is not a democracy. The U.S. is oligarchy. Is that the is that the word? Oligarchy. 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 Yeah. The the bankers, the the super rich, they control the politicians. That not and they they uh, and the politicians, uh, you know, uh, uh, the top would be the oligarchs. What are they called? Yeah, the bankers, the the people with the money. Then the the office holders, from president to secretaries and all that, and then. Uh, it's all designed to benefit that one percent, right? And uh, the people, the citizens, are the one that, the, that get taxed. And uh, was that uh, they're making their whole? Po- it seems to be designed to make their whole population into third world poverty now. And uh, yeah, the middle class is all but gone, right? And so, however, in China, the middle class is uh, continuing to grow. Uh, yeah. No, that's true. I mean, um, yeah, you make a good point. Because uh, one of the things that I guess uh, for us in Guam, it's important that we remember that there's life beyond the United States. Thank you. We're always kind of primed because of what we read, what we watch, what we're told, what we learn in school, sort of that the U.S. is the center of the universe. Yes. I mean, the U.S. is not the largest. The U.S. may have the largest economy. Some people say the EU is larger than the U.S. in economic terms. U.S. isn't the most populous country. And one of the f- funny things that I is that because uh, you said uh, in the past there was always the representation of sort of the evil Asians, right, in movies. Dr. Fu Manchu, uh, was Mr. Han. from or the, what is it, a Red Dawn? Red, remember Red Dawn? The new Red Dawn used North Korea. Yes, yes. And it's funny because part of that reason is because the Chinese movie market is now larger than the U.S. movie market. And so it shows a shifting so that the U.S. used to be the center. The U.S. had more movie theaters. uh, Movies made the most in the U.S. But what's happened is that China has now more movie theaters, more people watching movies. And so because of that, it's shifted the movie, it's the movie industry, where now all of these American movies always now have a Chinese person who's involved in saving the day too. Um, you can't make the Chinese the bad guys because then your movie won't play in China. They will not show it. They will yeah. not promote it. And so, and it's, it's fascinating because, I mean, I remember a couple of years ago, the Warcraft movie, for those of you that are huge nerds out there, Warcraft, the Warcraft movie came out and, I mean, I liked the Warcraft movie. I like Zahuadzo, I like Warcraft, but it did horribly in the United States. It did super well in China. Like it made most of its money in China alone. And so it's funny because the US may have said, no, we don't like this, but in China they said, we like this. But that's an important sort of example of how the world is changing. How power and money is getting distributed in the different flow of ways. Money. Yes, the flow of the money. And the U.S. isn't necessarily the center of the universe anymore. And so what do we lose if we think the U.S. is the center, even as things are changing around us? Exactly. We need to open our minds and open our eyes that, uh, hey, uh, 
we need to put our eggs in more than just one basket. Mm. Uh, whenever people travel, I notice people of Guam, it's always uh, vacationing in Hawaii or all, all the way up to mainland United States. But based on our geographic location, why isn't aren't more Guam people taking vacations in uh, China, Japan, Korea, Vietnam, Thailand, Philippines? Mm-hmm. Because uh, you're going to be paying not well a lot of filipinos here on guam so yes a lot of them i'm sure do go back to philippines but uh uh, you will not pay uh for the amount of money you pay to for a round trip ticket to uh uh, united states and back here to guam you could probably get yourself uh a four-star hotel and uh for a whole week or whatever in thailand or something like that uh with that same amount of money that you spend to go just for the trip alone to the United States. So the world is supposed to be about making connections, trading, uh, sharing. And so far, this island, uh, well, I actually have seen uh, lots. Well, I remember before the tourism market and the student market for here, uh, UOG, had lots of Japanese exchange students and lots of uh, Japanese tourists. But now the shift seems to be have seems to have gone over to Koreans. Uh, but uh, hey, if you really want to make money, then uh, you we need to. Uh, uh, you need to start looking at uh, McDonald's, Starbucks, KFC. Uh, they may do okay in the U.S., but you know, you know who's crazy about uh, about those foods and those that coffee? The Chinese. Mm-hmm. When I'm in, in my city, my city's not even level one like Beijing or Shanghai. I'm I, I work in Tianjin. That's a level two city, and. Uh, there's a Starbucks in every corner. So there's a McDonald's in every corner. There's a, there's a KFC in every corner. So the U.S. is blaming China that they're not making any money, really? <laughs> With all of those uh, U.S. names and franchises spread throughout China? I don't think so. That's, Do your research. Yeah. No, no, That you bring up a good point because um, it, we really need to think for ourselves because... When the, when the admiral, the old admiral or the new admiral, when they say something to the people of Guam or to Lulian Guerrero, are they saying it in truth with sort of a genuine concern? Are they expressing what might be good for the people of Guam or are they saying it from the military's perspective? Because just look at, I always tell people, why would we ever trust anything the United States says about the world around us? Because look at North Korea. The, the admiral says we need the marines here because of North Korea. We need the firing range because of North Korea. But then all you got to do is go on Twitter and Donald Trump is like, Biba North Korea, my gatsung nai, that's my gatsung nai, my best friend. Me and him, we rub bellies together and we play golf, you know? It's like they, got, they both got the Bonaldo belly, I swear, man, or the Sebesa belly. Or in Trump's case, it's like the, the cheeseburger belly, basically. But, um, but look at that. Are we supposed to be afraid of North Korea? Or are we supposed to cheer for peace and believe that Trump is making peace with North Korea? Like, which one? Because you can't say both of them at the same time. Either they're this huge threat and we have to be willing up to give up our lands and give up our lands to support your effort to defend us against them, or we don't have to worry about them, in which case we don't need to give up these lands to make your firing ranges because you're making peace. Because, but so that's why we have to be willing to think for ourselves and to look at the world around us and think from Guam's perspective, what is best? And that's why I, I loved what you said that um, we need, you know, it's about being in the world is about making connections. And so it's not about, it's kind of like the way that Chamorros and the way that people on Guam, we approach this, right, is that we were born, we, we were told to eat one thing and we ate it our entire lives. We ate the United States. And even as we saw, oh my goodness, there's another restaurant over there. We said, no, I don't want to try that. I might, it's not patriotic if I try that. Oh, I don't want to try that. You know, America's the greatest food in the world. I'm going to stick with this. What did we lose? How much did we lose by only seeing things one way, by refusing to grow and explore and learn more about things? And so, um, now, I wanted to ask you, though, because um, 
what would you say to people on Guam? And there are quite a few people on Guam. I'm waiting for somebody to message me after today's show and basically uh, say that we're uh, independent Guahan is sponsored by China or independent Guahan is bought and paid for by China. Because my friends in Okinawa and their decolonization movement, that's what they always say about them is that every time they do something, then somebody writes into the paper uh, that they're bought and paid for by China. And so what would you say to those people who are still very much in that mindset that China is sort of the evil empire, that we need to be terrified of them, and that sort of all this discussion is basically like inviting China to take over us? What would you say? I'm sure that you know people who sort of feel that way. I'm sure that maybe some of your family members, some of your friends. Oh, yeah. Every time... uh I would get into, I would put a comment in a pro-China page of Facebook or YouTube. I usually would get attacked by uh, uh, an anti-Chinese or pro-USA individual accusing me of being a paid uh, propaganda maker for China or something called a 50 cent uh, 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 troll or something like that. Uh, like for every support uh, comment I give, I get 50 cents for oh it. Goodness, where do I sign up? I know, right? I've got student loans. Where do I sign up for this? <laughs> exactly. I wish I got paid for, <laughs> for, for supporting China, but nope, I'm doing it because I open my eyes I look at the world around me and I can distinguish what is right and what is wrong. And so it's like, if we are the good guys or if we really are about peace, why do we feel the need to have a military base in in three quarters or like 80% of the countries? I don't know exactly the number, but uh, we have a U.S. base in just about every country of the world almost, you know? That's true. There's, there's um, close, depending on how you divide it up, there's close to a thousand U.S. facilities in other countries. And uh, China has a couple bases in other countries, but nothing compared to the U.S. I, can you imagine that? Like, can, can you really imagine that, that sort of, that the, the U.S. clearly, if, if we're talking about empires, I mean, the U.S. clearly has the infrastructure of an empire. No other country comes close. Uh, here's where I'm going to anger maybe some people from what I'm going to say. Uh, the reason why that the Western countries, mainly like US, UK, the red, white, and blue English-speaking empires hate China so much is because they are the ones that they never successfully colonized. They did so much damage to them, getting them addicted to opium. Uh, was that, uh, if you know your history, there was a thing called the Eight Nation Alliance from US, UK, Germany, France, and so many others, and one one Asian country, Japan. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were going to divide China as a spoil of, uh, yeah, the, as a as a prize. And, uh, okay, you'll get this area, you'll get this area, you'll get this area. But somehow, Chinese are resilient enough to rise up and not lose their language, not lose their culture, not lose their traditions, and not be colonized versus, let's say, people of Guam and people of the Philippines. They embrace the West so much, going all the way back to the Spanish and the Catholic Church. Up till now, I'm like, why are people of Guam still so devout Catholic? My mother, she's, even no matter how much logic and reasoning I I use on her, she'll never quit being a Catholic. She prays every night with her Santa Maria handkerchief and for 30 minutes straight. But, all I can say is that uh, China, uh, not controlled by religion. Uh, all, yeah, they do have their Buddhism, but I ask my students all the time, is anybody here practicing uh, there? Does anybody go to the temple and meditate and pray at least once a week or gong the bell or things like that? Everyone just looks at each other like, uh, no. You know? <laughs> uh, religion is not really a big thing or serious thing in China, probably serious thing. And I heard Koreans have embraced uh, Southern Baptist uh, uh, gospel, mm. though. But anyway, uh, and look at, see, when you don't have religion as a distraction, then, uh, yeah, there's progress usually. <laughs> at least that's my opinion, you know? 
I think like many people in the world, uh, the Chinese have adopted sort of uh, consumerism as the religion of choice. Yes. Or, uh, or telephone usage. <laughs> telephone usage. Now, um, as, my, as my, my son tells me every day, because now there's something on the iPhone where it tells you how, how much you used your screen. Uh, how much you use your screen. And so my son is always getting on my case. He's like, oh, you have this much screen time. And I'm like, oh. if I change my religion to my phone, then I guess it's okay. Yeah, I guess it's okay. Cause then I'm communing with my deity. Oh, now we do have a, we do have a sort of a, a comment here. We have a couple of comments, but so one person though, uh, Eru is, is responding though. If we can, uh, we should not dismiss China's human rights violations. <laughs> the human rights violations, yes. Uh, have you gone there and seen it yourself? That is one question, of course. Or where did you get that information from? Did you get that from Western mainstream media? I'm sure you did. All I can say is that um, if you're talking about like the Xinjiang people, the province of Xinjiang, uh, who are Muslim, uh, they're being accused of putting them in camps and uh, forcing them to uh, change. Uh, let's put it this way. Uh, do you think that uh, the US is any better? Do you think the U.S. does not have their own camps that they are putting people into? Ouch. Do you think that the U.S. Is, okay, if what China is doing to a Muslim people is so bad, just, uh, re, you know, as in uh, teaching them not to damage the country, teaching them how to be good Chinese or, you know, productive citizens of China, uh, then what do you have to say about uh, what the U.S. is doing to the whole Middle East region? Uh, what exactly, how exactly is the U.S. saying better with all the death they have caused over there? Mm. Human rights. Really? You know? <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, it's a, it is an, it, yeah, you're, what you're bringing up is interesting because we have to, to reframe the discussion in such a way because we're even, um, even when we're critical, sometimes then we'll still accept the United States as like the basis for the conversation, right? And so, um, but yeah, I think, um, yeah, but that is, that is an interesting point though because I think um, nothing that, uh, as, uh, as Armin said at the beginning though, this is not necessarily about Guam signing up with China no. or becoming a part of China or anything like that. But we're just, uh, should we see the Chinese as, as enemies because the United States says so? Um, and also for me, part of it is that when I see, uh, when I see the, the cultures of people in Micronesia and then we look, let's say at the United States versus we look at Asia, which, which culture is closer? To those people in the Pacific, sort of the sort of the Western, sort of the Anglo-Saxon way, or sort of the Chinese, more collectivist way, and usually I see that it's we kind of line up more with with people in Asia, especially um, with regard to being filial, respecting elders, mm. making family, the family connection, mm -hmm. right? No, 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 so true, um, and so we, we we have to remember that because we're so used to thinking of how we're supposed to do things by following the American way. But then it's interesting because then we create things which don't fit who we are and what we value. Like, think of it this way. Every week, there's like at least one medical fundraiser on Guam. Now, you could argue that our culture leads families and communities to come together to sort of fundraise, to provide support for somebody who needs it. But what is, why do we have a healthcare system in which most people, which doesn't cover what people need in order to survive? So you could argue that the, the, the sort of the family fundraisers, the medical fundraisers exhibit parts of our culture, but why do we have a system which doesn't exhibit our culture? Mm -hmm. Why do we have a system which doesn't value human life, but values the idea of making money over protecting human life? There you go. 
And so that's why I think sort of looking at China is important and looking at other countries too. Because when in Guam, especially after World War II, when people on Guam through the government got to finally make certain things for themselves, after they just made things the United States way. So um, it's funny because uh, uh, I remember this one anecdote from, uh, from when uh, Micronesian students after World War II were being taken by the US State Department around the world to, to look at things. So the US wanted to, eventually they knew they were gonna have to decolonize those islands, but they wanted them to be, still be very close to the US. Yeah. They wanted to keep the Micronesia as the American lake, right? The Pacific is an American lake and they needed Micronesia to stay close to the US. So they paid for all these young Micronesian students and leaders to travel to the United States, to travel to Europe, to travel to Asia so that they could see the way the cultures live there, see the way the governments work, learn, meet with people in these governments and work with them and stuff. And so these students went to the United States and yes, the United States was gaudy, the United States was, was kind of exciting in certain ways. And then when they went to Europe though, they kind of liked Europe a lot more mm -hmm. because what the US, there was all this emphasis on making money and all this emphasis on like, how much money do you have and so on. And when they went to other places, like they went to Europe, they found that there was a stronger emphasis, social emphasis on providing a, a support network for people, right? That you should, you should have healthcare, you should have free education. And so it was funny because as they were traveling, the State Department guys from the U.S. were always asking them, isn't this country nice, but you do know that America is the best, right? And then these Micronesian leaders would be like, oh, yes, we know that America is the best. But in their own languages, they'd be like, oh, my goodness, this country's way better than the United States. Oh, my goodness. But and they would never want to tell them. But just so just to remember. Yeah. Oh, anyways, dispensers are good. Uh, just going back to connecting to what you were saying, I was having a conversation or a chit chat with my cousin and uh, talking about how, again, the government systems, capitalism versus socialism and all that, uh, people seem to forget one of the most successful societies and happiest societies in the world is uh, Sweden, a socialist system. And yeah, they take, they take 50% of their income as tax, but you can go you can get any medical treatment, whether it be just a cold, whether it be as high level as brain surgery, and not pay for it. And uh, you can, uh, oh, college is not is not paid is free. And so, wouldn't we? Don't we wish we could have such a system, right? And so, yeah, yeah. It's because so think of it this way: our 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 governments and our societies, you know, they reflect certain values. So in the United States, there's this idea, right, that uh, individual achievement, right? This idea that individual work, profit, reward. The meritocracy system. So yeah, I mean, even though we know it's not really true because Donald Trump, but <laughs> because if you, if you tend to be white, if you tend to be rich, if you tend to be a man, suddenly everything is much easier in that system for you get away with a lot more, you can do way more. But um, still, we can see how it's about, right? So that's why in, in the US, if people are poor, there must be something bad about them. It's because their culture is bad or it's because they are bad. If you get sick, it's because you did something, right? And so there's all of this because there's all this emphasis on personal accomplishment, individual achievement. It also then to justify things, it's all about individual and collective blame. If you don't have stuff, it's because you don't deserve it. Not like us who have stuff. But is that the way that Guam would want to organize itself? It's kind of the way it is now because we followed the American way. But is it how we want to live? I don't want to live like that. That's not, that's not the best part that I think we've gotten from the culture of our ancestors or the cultures of our neighbors. So why do we continue it? Why do we perpetuate it? I mean, if something doesn't work, then maybe it's time to change things, you know? Yeah. Oh, very true. Very true. And so, um, hold on, let's see if we had any, we had a, and so I wanted to thank you, uh, Armin, for, 
for, for coming on the podcast today. And I wanted to give you a chance to share any final thoughts, um, kind of to, to put your, to put your uh, final case out there about why we need to sort of open our minds a little bit. Hmm. One last thing, let me think. Mm. Yeah, and, and I wanted to say Sidus Masiloqui for sharing your story and uh, and for talking. I mean, one of the things that uh, one of the things uh, that we uh, we always kind of struggle with those of who are who speak out critically about these sorts of things is that oftentimes we're told that uh, um, you know that we haven't served or that we haven't sacrificed, and so it's always nice when a veteran such as yourself sort of uh, gives your perspective. Um, you know, and shares your thoughts. And we remember that even people who serve in the military think. They have the ability to think. And they have the ability to see if they aren't being treated well. They have the ability to see if they're being taken advantage of. And so I really appreciated you kind of sharing that because that that was always my impression too. I was always wondering, like, uh, people that go to the Middle East from the U.S., do they know what they're doing there? Are they confused? Like, do they do they despair about it because they're fighting and they, you know, and, and and there's not really any plan. There's not really any real reason why. And so I appreciate that. But so your final thoughts. Uh, basically, uh, nothing really, anything I haven't touched up on before, just that uh, uh, to open your mind, yeah, uh, you really have to know, learn and how to ask the has ask questions. You really know, need to know how to look at things, not just on face, uh, just by what's in front of you. Uh, there are so many uh, people that have explained that whenever U.S. news is talking about this problem, and right now they're focusing a lot on China, that usually is to distract the population from something else. And so, uh, remember, we don't, we live in planet Earth, and planet Earth is made out of so many of different countries, cultures, and languages. We don't live in planet United States, and most uh, people in the United States, including the ones here in Guam, uh, are living in a bubble that uh, it's, the world is only USA, USA, USA. So try to broaden your mind and do some traveling. <laughs> oh, Biba, Biba. Sidus Masi to everyone. And so just as a uh, just as a reminder, sort of why is this important? We are ending now July. We're ending once again sort of the month where we reflect on liberation, on the retaking of the island by the United States from the Japanese. And so always remember that that history, that history tells us why we should think for ourselves. As I've, always, as I've shared several times before on this, on this podcast, on the eve of World War II, Chamorros asked the United States the questions that we are asking now. Who, do we have to be afraid of China? Do we have to be afraid of North Korea? Are we safe? Will we be okay? And on the eve of World War II, the United States told the Chamorro people, you don't have to worry. The, the Japanese would never attack the United States. They told the Chamorro people the Japanese are weak. The Japanese are a worthless race of monkey people. As, as, as some military commander said, they would never dare attack the white man. They told that to Chamorros while they were planning their exit from the island, while they were preparing for the war that they knew was coming, they were not preparing us and so that is why we need to think for ourselves. I'm not saying that you should do whatever the Chinese say. I'm not saying you should do whatever the American, the United States says. But for those of us that love Guam, for those of us that are worried about what's going to happen to this beautiful place in the sun, this beautiful, beautiful place, Stina Gefpaguna Isla, we need to have that ability to think for ourselves. We can be an island which connects cultures and connects civilizations, or we can be a weapon that one culture, one civilization uses against the others. What is it that we want? Not what is it that the others want, but what is it that we want? And can we learn enough? Can we understand enough so that we can make our own choices? And so, Sidus Masi Tatlu Armin. Thank you. And so, just as a reminder, um, if, uh, if you like Fanatsu and Genzamu Fanatsu, you remember that it is made possible because of the generous support of people on Patreon. And so go to patreon.com slash Fanatsu and you can sign up. Um, 
Remember, if you sign up as a Hugwa or Tulu member, at least $10 a month of donation, you get access to the Radical Reading series and the Secret Guam History Radical History podcast. And so, Sidus Masinotoro Samzu, adios, esta ki.